This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. We're continuing our series about going deeper in God because knowing God is more than just an hour on Sunday. Going deeper. How many of you desire to go deeper and get closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ to know God better. Of course we do. That is something we desire to do, something that uh, if you, once you meet God, you desire to know Him better. And so we're talking about how do I actually do that? How do I get closer to God? How do I get to know God? How do I go deeper in my relationship with God? And what we've said is that it takes more than just an hour on a Sunday morning that it's something we need to do uh, in a personal, daily walk with God. I want to read a scripture to you in uh, 1 John, if I can get my... uh, uh, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, it says this, This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. See... Eternal life is not something we do, and eternal life is not a prom- just a promise God gave us. Eternal life is actually a person. Eternal life. What do we mean eternal life? Well, you and I, on this earth, we have a temporal life, or a life that has a beginning. You had a beginning, and you will have an end. There will be a day that would be your last heartbeat, your last breath. Tommy and Tamika, uh, you had to say and suffer the loss of your wife, Juanita, as she just suddenly went home. But here's the thing. Now, her life here ended. She was in your past, but she's not here in your present. But she's waiting in your future. And that's the promise of God. That's eternal life. What we mean by eternal life is that when our heart stops beating, when we take our last breath, there will be a last breath, there will be a last heartbeat, there will be a last goodbye, there will be a last time you kiss a loved one, there will be a last time your voice is heard. There will be that for all of us. There will be a last time. But Because God made every one of us. He created man to not just live for a time, but to live forever. Inside all of us is an eternal spirit that's going to live forever. All right? We're going to live forever. And that means we've got to have somewhere to live when we're living forever. We're not just floating around in space, and we're not hanging around here being the the ghost on earth. There's not ghost here on earth. All right? But uh, so where do we go? Well, God has prepared two places. Now, the place God wants everyone to go is called heaven. The place where God doesn't want anyone to go is hell. The Bible says he's not willing. God is not willing that anyone would go to hell. You say, well, then why did God make it then? Because he made it for the devil who disobeyed him, who rebelled against him, and who said, I will take over God's kingdom. I will take over his throne. I will overthrow God, and I will be God. 
and I will set my throne in the throne of the north. He, in other words, the highest place. That's what Lucifer, who is called the devil, Lucifer was the highest angel in heaven, and he rebelled against God. And the Bible says that a third, he convinced a third of the host of heaven or a third of the angels to go with him. He's very deceitful, very deceptive. That's why he convinces people on earth to follow him. And so God, you can't defeat God. The enemy, the devil, Lucifer, had a plan, but it was a stupid plan. Because you cannot outsmart God. You can, you're not greater than God. God made him, so how could he overcome God? So God made a place called hell. She, a place where uh, it would be, he would be imprisoned. He made a prison house for Satan, for Lucifer, and all of those that followed him the third of the host of heaven, the third of the angels that went with him. He made a place for them. But now because God has given you and I the right or the ability and the power to make a choice, you and I have the freedom of choice. You're here because you chose to be. Now you may say, no, somebody, my wife made me come. Well, you chose to let your wife make you come. You still have a choice. See, we all have a choice. Every one of us have a choice, and that God gave us that, and He wants that, because God doesn't want us to have to serve Him, to have to love Him, to have to be His children. He wants us to want to serve Him, to want to know Him, to want to be His children, all right? And so God's not willing, He doesn't want, and it's out of His will for anyone to go to hell, but we can if we choose to. And the way we choose to is by rejecting Jesus, all right? Because God may provided a way back to him, a back to a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. He did all that so that he would make a way so that he could be the way for you and I to make it go to heaven. And what happens when we receive Jesus Christ is the Bible says, Jesus says we're born again or born from above. And actually the life of God, the very life of God. Jesus said in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. The word that he uses, there are several words that are used in the Bible concerning life. There is a word that means uh, just a normal life, uh, like your, your life here on earth. In other words, a life that has a beginning and physical life, all right? Uh, if you're, you have physical life right now, that's what we focus on pretty much. We're, when we talk about life, we're talking about our physical life usually. Uh, that's what we mean because uh, it's our heart beating, our health, all of the things, and the things that have to do with our life, our physical life, all right? Uh, gee, there's a term that talks about that, and that. But there's a term called zoe, Z-O-E, you've seen it. Uh, Zoe, and it means uh, the life of God, uh, or it is a life that has no beginning and has no end. There is not a time when it started. Now, that's beyond our ability to comprehend. If, and here's what, a lot of times, if we can't comprehend it, then it can't be real. Well, you and I both know that's not true, okay? 
Even those that say that will have theories. They'll come up with a theory and they'll postulate things that they can't prove and they cannot say it's definite, yet they'll present it and say, this is a theory. Well, they've just proven that there are things that we don't know that we are real. That our knowing something doesn't define its reality or deny its reality. But so eternal life or the life of God. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, he said, I've come that you might have eternal life, Zoe life, or that you might have the life of God and that you might have it more abundantly. So when we talk about going deeper, when we talk about uh, going, getting to know God, we're talking about having the life of God and having it more abundantly or enjoying the fullness of it or really beginning to understand what, has, what is ours through what Jesus did at the cross and what is ours now through eternal life. It's more than the fact that we're going to go to heaven. It's more than the fact that Tommy and Tamika uh, right here can know that even though their wife and mother is not here in this world with them right now, they can know absolutely that as long as they, if they trust Jesus, that the day will come when they leave this life and they'll see her. She'll be waiting at the gate. She'll be waiting there saying, welcome home. All right. Uh, <clears throat> there's a good book you ought to read sometime if you hadn't uh, heard of it yet. It's called 90 Minutes in Heaven. It's a Baptist preacher that uh, was killed in a car wreck and spent 90 minutes in heaven. True story, powerful, tremendous testimony. You ought to read it. But he talks about who meets you at the gate and the people that were there and all that. Anyway, it's a great story, uh, and it's true. But anyway, if Jesus himself, when we talk of eternal life, when we talk of salvation, when we talk of, of, of being saved, we're not talking about something. We're talking about someone. And eternal life is a person. You see, God didn't give a thought. For God so loved the world that he didn't, the Bible doesn't say that God gave a command or God gave a word or, uh, or that God gave a promise or that God gave uh, uh, some rules or God gave some principles. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave himself. So that whoever believes in him, not in something, but in him. See, this is what separates Christianity from every religion in the world. Every other religion. And when I was in college, uh, going through uh, studying theology, one of the things we had to study is we had to study the religions of the world. We spent a lot of time, I took courses on religions of the world, world religions. And you had to spend semesters studying other religions to understand the difference between Christianity and the religions of the world. And we studied not just the major religions, such as Islam or Buddhism and, and different things like that, but we also studied uh, things like Zoroastrianism and all kinds of stuff that are way out there. Uh, but we had to study those. And the thing that was uh, very evident was the fact that there was only one religion in the whole world. There's only one that its savior is a person, not rules, not principles, not ideals. Buddhism, your salvation is in ideals. If you, uh, if you submit and you adhere to these ideals, then you can get 
you know, come through reincarnation. And if you go through reincarnation enough times, you can, you can be purified. Uh, and in Islam, you know, uh, the sal- uh, Muhammad was not the Savior, never claimed to be the Savior. He was just the prophet. And uh, he was God's holy prophet. And he gave rules or a set of ways. And you follow these rules and you can go to heaven. That's why they're willing to go be suicide bombers and give their lives because that's part of the rules. And, you know, and that's doing something above and beyond what the normal uh, Muslim would do. All right, but it's all in order to get to heaven. It's in order to find eternal life. And all religions are looking for that. It's something innate within all of us. It is something that is inside man that longs for eternity, that longs for something beyond the confines of this life. That is true. It is in every one of us. And the reason it is, is because God created us for eternity. And so we know I'm supposed to live eternal. I'm supposed to have something. And so we seek that out. And so all these religions are created. Before Jesus came, there were religions. And since he's come, there's a lot of religions. But there is only one that has a one a person who gave himself. And he said, I will be the way, not you fulfilling some principles or keeping some rules or adhering to some ideals, but I will become the way. And the way I will become the way is I will give myself, I will pay the price of your sin. I will take upon me and I will become the offering for what you've done wrong. And when you're commit, when you are counted guilty in the court of God's justice, I will stand up and say, then send me to the death chamber. And I will pay the price for you. That's what Jesus did. I don't know about you, but this, I'm telling you, there is no other religion like this. Our salvation, our hope is not in what we do. It's not in keeping some rules. It's not in some things. It's in him. One person, his name is Jesus. That song that we sang. I was thinking that song ought to be singing in every church, every service. Because if you took that song and you really believe it, you're on your way to heaven. Because that song is the theology of salvation. It declares in there the things that we believe. That's not just a song. I want to tell you, I want want to keep singing that until we get to understand and know that. And it's an anthem. It could be like, I want it to be the anthem of our church. I mean, I'd rather have that than something that sounds cool and all that. That is powerful. I mean, you could take that with new believers and sit down with them and just go through that and you could win converts. Just have them sing that song. So Jesus says, and now we testify and proclaim to you, John writes, that he, Jesus, is the one who is eternal light. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Underscore that word fellowship. It's going to be hard to do because you're looking at the screen, isn't it? In your mind, fellowship. Everybody say that with me, please. Fellowship. Let's say it again. Fellowship. All right. So that you 
may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Isn't it something how, I know before I became a Christian, I, I got, met the Lord or surrendered my life to Jesus at 24 years of age. And for some reason, before I became a Christian, I had this concept of Christianity that was really of it being dark and dismal and unhappy. And, and I kind of pictured that, you know, if, if you were a Christian, you know, it's kind of like the, these horror movies where the, the, uh, the, whatever it is, the monster comes or the thing comes and he sucks the life out of you. You know, it takes your life source out of you. And all of a sudden it's just, you're just a dried up uh, uh, shell there. And that's what I kind of felt like Christianity was to me. Christians were people that everything had been sucked out of them. And so they just went around trying to be good, judging one another, trying to live by rules and keeping their, 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 the, their life secret because they knew they weren't good. So they would pretend away on Sunday and live another way through the week. That's what I kind of thought of Christians. And I thought, why do all that? If I want to go out and party on Saturday night, I'm going to do it and I'm not going to be hide it from anybody. You know, and uh, when, I, when I met Jesus, actually, uh, I had, uh, I won't get into it lengthwise but, or a long story, but when I met him, one of the things I told him was this. When I say met him, it was in a service where I just felt so drawn and I felt in my heart I had to make a decision. A confrontation took place. A confrontation, see, and went an encounter and a confrontation with God, the living God. And one thing I told him, I said, now God, I said, I, I don't want to be phony in this. And I told him, I said, I cannot live good. I can't live good. You and I both know that. I'm not going to pretend I can be a good person. I said, I can't. Now, this is what I told him because I wasn't wanting to please anybody. I was either it's real or it's not. And I told him, I said, I don't want to go to hell through the church. If I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go through the clubs and all out there partying, smoking dope and, and crack and all the other stuff and have it, playing rock and roll music and doing all the stuff I'm doing. That's what I'm going to do. But if this is real, then I'm willing for it, but it's got to be real. But you know, I can't do it. And see, I kind of thought Christians had to do it. What I found out is Jesus did it for us. And by faith in him, he comes and lives in us. All right, now, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. See, when I got born again, all of a sudden, man, for the first time, I felt peace inside me. I always had an anger. There was an, just a, a, an anger that was always there. Kind of just, you know, like, you, you know, some people go to the doctor and they say, you've got a low-grade fever. That means there's some kind of infection in your body. Well, I had a low-grade anger all the time. I did. Just a low-grade, in other words. And somebody could do something, and my fuse would go like that. And uh, people, you know, would say, well, man, I'll tell you what. Just, you know, he, he, I mean, he can lose it with the drop of a hat. You know? so, and I did. I had an anger. And I never knew what peace was. 
But when I met Jesus, suddenly the anger was gone. And for the first time in my memory, all of a sudden I wasn't angry and I felt a peace that wasn't manufactured, that was real. So he said, so you may fully share our joy. Let's look at something he says here. We're going to talk about this term fellowship in the next few moments. Fellowship. Fellowship. Now, when we talk about fellowship, we're talking about basically two fellows in a ship. You know, just kind of getting along, you know, uh, having a cup of coffee with a buddy, uh, or doing something, you know, y'all go fishing, or, or, or two, you know, you know uh, some friends go out and eat together. That's fellowship. And it's true, it is fellowship. But when the Bible speaks of fellowship, that's included but it is much deeper than just that. It's deeper than a surface relationship. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's something that is very extremely rare in the world. I'm 67 years old, and I have rarely seen real fellowship among people. People come in your life, they tell you, they love you to death, and it's as if they died two weeks later because you can't see them or find them or, you know. I've had people say, here's my number, man. I want yours. We're going to be talking every week. And that's the last time I heard from them. I call them. They won't, they won't even return my calls. I thought, what's the deal here? I thought we were close, you know. Because people, it doesn't mean anything to people. But in the Bible, when they said fellowship, man, it meant something. I mean, it was like, we're, coming, we're jumping out of the plane parachute or no parachute, but we're jumping out. This is real deal. And in the Bible, there's a word that is translated fellowship. It's called kononia, and it means to commune. To commune. When I, was, uh, when I got saved, people, young kids our age were living in communes. I had a lot of friends that went and lived in communes. They'd go live in communes and... And that meant you could have sex with everybody, nobody, you know, people would, a guy and a girl may be boyfriend and girlfriend, but she could have sex with everybody and you could have sex with everybody. And uh, we, you would smoke dope, you know, and hemp and all that kind of stuff and doing everything, you know, and, and uh, 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 all kinds of stuff, you know, taking LSD and, and all that, you know, the sugar cubes and everything. And uh, so they lived in communes and they called it, this is freedom. And it was free sex. And we're talking about in the 60s, you know. And free, living free, living free. So they lived in communes. Well, that's not what the Bible's talking about. But see, why did they want that? Why did they want it? Because there was something inside. Yes, our, the flesh took over and we say it was all about the sex. But it really, it was something deeper. It was really something deeper. And if you, I got involved in some of that stuff. And really, it wasn't about the sex. The sex was part of it. And it wasn't about the drugs. The drugs was part of it. It wasn't about, you know, Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and Deep Purple and all that. That was part of it. But it was about, it was really about, we were searching for a real relationship. Where we would care for one another, die for one another, live for one another, love one another. In reality, and we didn't see it in society, not even in our homes. And so we were searching for it. And a lot of us had been to church, you know, because our parents would take us to church. We never saw it there. We saw formal, institutionalized religion, but we didn't see relationship. 
And so the Bible talks about community or fellowship. It's talking about communing. It means to break bread together. It means to drink from a common cup. Now, what's the deal about drinking from a common cup? Well, if we passed a cup around for everybody to take a sip of water out of, some of you wouldn't do it. Because you don't want to share the saliva of the, last, the other people. And most of you would be that way. Okay? But in the, see, you get the idea here? It means something to drink from a common cup. That means if, uh, if John and I are going to drink, John, my friend here, uh, is going to drink, he and I drink from a common cup, and Paul, if we three drink from a common cup, if one of them's got something, we all got it. You got it? <laughs> It means to share in life together. Let's take it a step further. It literally means to share life together. Almost sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Which that's even hard to find in marriages. Now let's look at something. This that we're talking about, fellowship, this kind of koinonia, it's, it's actually what the church was called. They called it the koinonia. They actually called the church the fellowship before they called it the church. Did you know that? The original name was not the church. And even, did you know this? Before they called themselves Christians, they called themselves the fellowship. Because that was primary. It was the first thing. Listen, I want you to get a hold of, grab a hold of this. Now get this. The first thing the Holy Spirit birthed within the new church was this concept that church is all about fellowship. Wow. Because that's what he stirred within them to begin to call themselves. That's why you read in Acts chapter 2, it says after the day of Pentecost, it says, and the new believers committed themselves to the fellowship. Not to the church. Not to the membership. To the fellowship. That's the first thing that God birthed and gave them realization of who they were. Our first step should be fellowship. This was, fellowship was God's plan from the beginning. Why is it so important to God? Because really when you look at God's plan for you and I, God's plan for man. When God created, are you still with me? When God created the universe, are you getting anything out of this? Or is it just me? I may just be talking to me, but no, I'm talking to somebody. But anyway, when God created the universe, when God decided to create the earth and the heavens, and he created man, you understand man was not created for earth. Earth was created for man, and the universe was created for man. All right, that's why I'm looking. I mean, I love this life but I'm excited about when we get to heaven because I know, see, I always studied the stars and the planets and when we get, after we get to heaven, when this life is over and we're in eternal life, eternity, I'm gonna get to visit all of them. I'm gonna ride my Harley throughout, I am. You laugh, you wait and see. You're gonna say, what was that sound? Somebody's gonna say, ah, it's Vickers on his Harley, man. He's going out to Pluto. Yes, sir. Anybody wanna go with me? God's plan from the beginning, his whole plan for making mankind was this one thing, not that we would try to live right, 
Not that we would try to be good people. Not that we would keep from being unholy. Those things are all, yes, they are. But that's not his purpose. He didn't even have sin was not in his plan. It was in the devil's plan. God's plan was for man, him to create a race of people, a people, and we are one race We may look different. My wife and I look different. I haven't seen two white people that look exactly like, or two black people that look exactly right, or two yellow or green or purple people look exactly right. We are one race. Yes, there's differences. I'm glad my wife and I are different. You catch me? I lay, I lay in bed with her every night. I'll tell you what, the last thing I want to do is look over at some man with a hairy chest. Reach over and stroke that at night. You ain't, oh, come on now. <clears throat> when I cuddle with her, she's soft. All right? But God created us. He created, he, his plan was a race of people on the earth that would live in fellowship in Cornelia sharing life together, walking through life together, laughing together, crying together, having fun together, kidding one another, helping one another, aiding one another, giving of themselves to one another, living together as one people with him. To where God and man would walk together as a family. And we'd all just love one another. That was God's plan for us to live in fellowship. That was his original plan. See, we put fellowship way down the list. In God's mind, it's number one. God's intent was a relationship with him and each other. Uncluttered. You can't, it's hard to find that. Uncluttered by sin, shame, jealousy, manipulation, insecurity, guilt, or fear. Man, I just said a mouthful. God's plan would uncluttered. All of that stuff flushed down the commode, gone forever, free, 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 living free. Free to love, free to give, free to share, free to care. Free to rejoice when one succeeds, not being jealous, say, what about me? Where's mine? Where's mine? Why don't I have some? Well, listen, if you have some, I have some. If I have some, you have some. That was, that's God's idea. If one has, all has. That's the way God is. Listen, if God's got it, you do too. If God's got it, we do too. It ought to be the same. If I have it, you do too. If you do, I do. That's a big mountain to get over. God's idea was a pure relationship of love, of truth, and complete trust. Boy, I'll tell you what, in the heart of every individual, that's why young guys get into, into, into gangs. It's not, they're not getting in gangs because they want to do bad things. They're getting in gangs looking for this. We won't see, we judge the symptoms when we need to understand the root and care and show them something better instead of condemning what is wrong. 
This kind of relationship has always been the yearning of God's heart. I'm telling you right now, if you open God's heart, if you could do heart surgery on God, and they could, a doctor could expose his heart and say, look what's inside his heart. You know what you would find? You'd find absolutely nothing but love. Nothing but love. You'd see love personified. And in there would be a yearning. There would be a yearning, a cry that says, I want my people to live in fellowship, in true fellowship, in true love one with another. I love that this, the, the book in the Bible that we are using here is 1 John. The apostle John was called the apostle of love. And he, he was one that they tried to kill and they couldn't. So they put him on the Isle of Patmos and, and then Jesus appeared to him and he wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. Okay? He was called the apostle of love. And so after, when he was real old, and they didn't care. He was, they let him, you know, they would let him get around the church. They would get him up. Church history says they would bring him up. Had to, he was aged. They bring him up before the people. And he had one line. Little children, love one another. Take me back, boys. And they'd take him back and he'd sit down. That was his line. Little children, love one another. You know, what we're talking about is really the yearning deep within the heart of every individual. Every person has this until they are twisted, their heart becomes twisted by fears, by hurts, deceit, and sin. The picture within the heart of God for mankind is a family of people living in complete harmony and mutual respect and care for one another. That is another mouthful. Let me say that again. God's vision for mankind, for you, for me, for us, is a family of people living in complete harmony. Do you know what harmony means? It does not mean we're singing the very same note. Just like a symphony is not made up of the instruments playing one note. That's boring. And see, that's when we've all got to be the same, act the same. And see, that's what I hate. That's what judgmentalism does and legalism. It tries to conform us to singing one note. Being, everybody being restricted to being just perfect. And I'll tell you what, most of the people that want perfection, the reason they want it is because they're furthest from it. I have found that out. Preachers that I've been around that demanded it. And I trusted them when I was young and believed in them only to find out they're doing all kinds of garbage behind the scenes and that's why they were demanding everybody else be perfect. And I realized those that demand it is because they can't, they know there's something wrong in them. Because God doesn't demand it. God wants us to love. Now, love does want to live for God. Love, listen, if you obey love, you're not going to do anything wrong. You're not going to hurt somebody. You know, if I love God, I'm not going to go out and have sex with another man's wife. I'm not going to look at another woman in the wrong way because I've got a wife. And if I love her, I'm going to do right. And it's not me trying not to do. It's me focusing on loving 
a family of people living in complete harmony and mutual respect and care for one another. Listen to this. Fellowship is the fruit. You might want to write this down. Fellowship, biblical fellowship. When we talk about fellowship, fellowship is the fruit, the child, and the sign of a covenant relationship with God the Father. The Bible says that if we walk in the light we have, listen to what it says. If we will walk in the light that we have, what does that mean? In what you know. God doesn't expect me to do what I don't know. God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have, to do what you can't, and to, or to do what you don't know. God merely says, do what you know to do. Give what you can give. You with me? And so, the, God says this. He said, or here's what uh, it says there. It says, if we walk in the light we have, we will have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse us from all sin. That means if I walk in fellowship, if I walk in the light I have, with my relationship with you, Ed and Bunny, and, and walk with you in light, the Bible says we will have fellowship. And no, even when we do wrong, and I'm talking about even things we don't know we've done. The Bible says we don't have to worry about it because the blood is always cleansing. And every time the sin or the devil tries to get a foothold on us, he can't find a place because the blood is keeping us clean. A covenant relationship. Fellowship is the child and sign of a covenant relationship with God the Father. A covenant relationship is unbreakable except by agreement of both parties. So you and God have to agree to break this relationship. At the cross, Jesus paid the full price and restored our relationship with God the Father. Now by faith in Jesus and what He did at the cross, you and I enter into a covenant relationship with God. See, Jesus said, in the Bible, He said, you remember, He said, I am the way. Yes. Well, the question is, the way to what? And somebody says, the way to God. Yes, but a lot more than that. He really is the way back to fellowship. And to fellowship with God. Not just the way to God, because Everybody is going to see God. But not everybody wants to go see God. It's like going to the principal's office. If you ain't been doing right, it's not good. No, he's not just the way to God. He's the way back into fellowship where that you and God are in harmony. You're one. Everything's good. It's all right. Everything. It's all right. Look at somebody and say, everything's all right. Listen to the words of Jesus. All who love me will do what I say. See, didn't say all who love me should try to do what I say. See, love is the power. Love is the key to living right. Letting love, the love of God, 
being known in your heart and, and living in fellowship with God. That's why we're talking about going deeper. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and He and I will come and make our home inside of them. Wow. Fellowship. But now listen, fellowship is never by accident. It's always intentional. It's a purpose. It's something we do, we decide to do. And the problem is we haven't discovered this. We come into church and we hear good messages that are supposed to help us individually. And so much of the church is about individuality. And I'm not blaming the church. I mean, I'm a part of it. But what we need to do is embrace the one another relationship that the Bible speaks about. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest ministries in the Bible is one another. You read in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, how the believers were with one another. And then you read in the other mess, uh, things, so many of the parables were talking about that. And the writings of Paul and, and Peter were dealing with how we were with one another. That's a major thing. Listen to what they did. They loved one another. They purposed to get to know one another. They prayed for one another. They built one another up. They ate meals together. They laughed together. They wept together. If one had something to celebrate, they all rejoiced. If one was hurting, the others came to their aid. Boy, that's a great feeling of knowing I'll never be by myself. I'll never be alone. I'll never go through anything all by myself. That's a safety net that we're looking for the government and society to provide, which I'm telling you, my friend, it cannot do. Because the Bible already tells us the arm of flesh is going to fail you. The only safety net that is real, that can be true, is God and His plan. See, what they were doing, it was church being family. It was God's dream becoming reality. But here's the problem. In the church today, we've ripped the heart out of fellowship. Where we have fellowships. And we get together for a fellowship meeting or a fellowship gathering. And it's something we do rather than something we become. And we go to a fellowship, but we never really fellowship. We sit and laugh and talk, and it's usually very surface. Because we don't trust one another, we don't love one another, and we're individuals. We love to a certain degree, but there's a limit. The things the believers once did for one another, listen to this, in the church, the things that we see the believers doing in the book of Acts and in the early church, early days of the church, do you know who does that now? We've hired church staffs to do that. Church staffs, you look you read the job description of pastors and pastoral staff, and do you know what it is? It's 99% of it is the believer's ministry. It's what the people are to do one for another, but we've hired others to do it for us. We're like the rich guy that, uh, you know, everybody's going to war, but I pay somebody to go to war for me. That's what we've done. We're paying other people 
to do what we're supposed to do. So we've taken fellowship out of the church and we've ripped the heart out of what God wants. We've made, oh, self, we've said, well, preaching the gospel, and that's important, it's it. But you see, God has an intent, a result he's after. Not just the form or the, do, the, the action. He wants a result, and the result is he wants a people that are fellowship, living in fellowship, that are one, that care for one another, share with one another, that really love one another. Believers no longer care for one another. That may be God calling. Believers no longer care for one another. They pay a church staff to do that for them. But I want us to do it different here. I'd like for us to run an experiment and let it be the Christian life experiment where we actually, you know, they call America the great experiment of trying to, let's see if people can, we can have our government that is of the people, for the people, by the people, instead of of the government, for the government, by the government. Let's see if we can turn this thing on its head and actually get back to what the Bible says and let the church staff, their function to be to equip you, the believer, to do the ministry of caring for one another. And we become the facilitators, the equippers, the helpers to help you do it, but you're actually getting to do it. Instead of us doing it, and getting paid to do it, and you never experiencing it. What we call pastoral care, is an, it's not in the Bible. Yet churches have pastoral care directors. They have pastors on staff that head up pastoral care, which is unbiblical. Because in the Bible, it was not pastoral care, it was believer care. It was one another care. But we say, well, I don't have time to do all that. Well, here's what I have found out. Now, you can't fool me. I raised kids. And they'd always tell me, I ain't got time, Dad. I got to do this. I tell you what, you got time to do what I tell you to do. Because yeah. <laughs> I made you. Yeah. I can make another one. <laughs> you, just, you catch my drift? No, we got time to do what, we do have time to do what, we, we do what we want to do. If you're working seven days a week because you choose to do that. No, I got to do that and pay my bills. No, you don't. You've created bills. You chose to do all that. You created that life. You're the one that chose that. And you're always going to be bound by that until you choose something different. Because you are a child of your choices. You're not the child of circumstance, of other people's decision. You are still the child of your choice. And if people do me wrong, I either choose to not let it control my life or I choose to let it control my life. But it's still my choice. I want us to practice, to learn what they did. Listen to this, and I'll close with this. This is from the book of Acts. And here's what the believers and the early church did. And I'm telling you what, we're getting ready this week. Our churches are coming together. Our pastors from different churches are coming together. We're meeting this week here in the offices here. And we're going through what we call Vision 2015, where we 
uh, get with the different pastors and, and we set our plans according to what, we, what seems right to the Holy Spirit and to us for what is for in the future. And one of the things we're gonna, I'm going to talk to them about is this very thing of us creating an environment. And if people don't like it and they say, I want to go to a church where I pay a pastor and a staff to do this, I don't want to have to care for other people. I don't want to have to care when they're hurting. I don't want to have to get to know people. Then if that's the way people are, I'm going to say, then let them go. Let them go because they're not wanting to be real believers anyway. I mean, they're going to heaven. They're just missing out on what God has. And so we're going to do this. And let me tell you, here's the heart of it. And I close with this. All the believers devoted themselves. See, I can't make you do this. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Somebody says, I've had people tell me, we used to have prayer service. Why don't we have prayer at the church? Well, see, I have trouble with that because the church is not a place. The church is people. And see, there we go again. Uh, That's like saying, I can't live right. Why don't you live right for me? That's really what we're saying. You might as well say that. Why didn't the church have prayer? Well, that's my question. Are you? Do you? And if I get us together and say, we're going to pray, has it made you pray? Have you become a prayer? If I got to make you do that, if I got to try to get you to do that, then there's something deeper that we need to deal with other than you going through a form or a ritual. A deep sense of awe. Where's that in the church? A deep sense of awe, of a of a holy fear and awesomeness of God, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This, I'm telling you, this is a part of the reason we don't see the work of God like we say. Where is it? Where is that? And I'm going to tell you what. Do I believe in miracles? Let me tell you, I could tell you, I could take the rest of this day sharing one after another of things that I have personally been involved in that God did supernaturally. And it would blow your mind. And I would not exaggerate or lie or make up one or have to repeat. But let me tell you what. I've been in this thing too long. I've been in ministry 42 years. And I'm at the place I'm telling God, I'm not about to perform for an audience Either you're going to be God in our midst and the church in this hour, especially in America, is in dire need of this. The last thing we need is another performance. The last thing we need is another shake and bake. The last thing we need is another powerful personality. I'm tired of powerful personalities standing on platforms that people worship those personalities. I'm ready for Jesus to be high and lifted up and exalted and for people to experience the reality of who He is and for the Holy Spirit to fall in our midst and for him to do not something that man can do for him to show up and show out and him to be God and I'm telling you I'm telling you I was preaching in New England the other a few weeks ago I did a weekend conferences there and in one of the services on the Friday night the first service 
A young lady, now some of you might not understand this, but she came up and she said, she asked her pastor, she said, I feel I have a word for Apostle Vickers. Can I give him that? And the pastor said, sure. And so he, she came over to me and she said, here's what I hear the Lord speak. And I'm going to tell you everything. But one thing that she said is, she said, there are things that God spoke in your heart in the early days. Things that you saw God do. And you're saying, where are they now? And she said, um, she said God is saying he's going to do that and more. Just be faithful. Now listen to me. I'm telling you, God's shown me things. I remember standing in Catherine Kuhlman meetings in, where thousands would be there and see all kinds of miracles take place. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and said, Son, this is my will. You can do this. And I'm going to use you and I'm going to show you. And I'm telling you, there is a hunger in the church that just services and just good teaching and just good music, and just good programs, and just good, just good, just good, is not good enough. There is something deep inside of us that we're longing for something more. And we're hungry for it. And the world is waiting for it. And I'm telling you, God is not going to allow us to manufacture it, to give, we can't give brass. There's a place in the Bible that talks about the brass in place of the gold. Because the gold stood for the presence. We're talking about the presence. And it says that when they devoted themselves to fellowship, when they devoted themselves, the miracles took place. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together regularly at the temple. They met in homes to share in communion and they shared their meals together with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord added to the fellowship every day those who were being saved. Father, I'm asking you, for a, I'm asking you to do a work within us. I'm asking you, God, for you to take this church and for you to reveal to us, do a work of fellowship. I pray for your fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the communion of the Holy Spirit to be birthed within this body of people and for us to genuinely walk in true fellowship. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.